I'm going to read a short story real quick about uh, the church you've always imagined. Church you've always dreamed of, all right? Here's what was happening. This is a true story. Church in New England. Uh, they had some conflict. The pastor was kind of blackmailing members of the board. That's, that's a problem right there, just so you know. That's not normal in churches. They had some conflict, and so the board of the church, the leadership of the church had decided they were going to have a meeting where they would vote on whether the pastor would stay or not, all right? The problem was the pastor would not let them make that announcement, all right? So you can feel the tension rising, okay? So pastors unliked by leadership. Leaders decide they want to announce a meeting to fire him. Pastor won't let them announce that meeting on a Sunday morning. This is before the days of email and text and Twitter, all right? The deacons begin to sit as a group on the left side of the church, pressing together in the front, front pew. So, you know, all these leaders were up here kind of with scowls in their faces. In the past, one of the deacons had always made the morning announcements, but ever since, uh, ever since the last meeting, the pastor had read the announcements himself, each time omitting the board's call to a special meeting. For four weeks, he simply kept the meeting from being announced. On the third Sunday in May, he was apparently going to do the same thing, Connecting the lapel mic to his suit, he, the pastor solemnly stepped down to the wooden communion table with his or, or, ornately carved command, do this in remembrance of me. If anyone is visiting today, he began, please raise your hand and our ushers will come by and give you some information about our church. At that point, one of the deacons, true story, his name's Frank. Frank got up from the front pew and strode up the stairs to the platform to the pulpit. Bending toward the microphone, he smoothed out a piece of paper and started to read this is to announce a special congregational assembly for the after this afternoon to discuss pastor. Suddenly, he could not be heard. The piano player, who happened to be the pastor's wife, had begun pounding out, Have thine own way, Lord, and was immediately joined by the organist, drowning out the rest of the, uh, the elder's message. The pastor began singing loudly into his lapel microphone, and some on his side joined him. Before they could begin the second verse, Frank, he was the leader, all right, pulled the organ power cord from the wall. And Brian McGuire shut the piano lid. He was another leader. The pastor's wife beat on this elder's arms for a minute and even lost her hat in the scuffle. But the leader held on. There was an awkward pause. Deacons still in their seats coughed nervously and crossed their legs. Most of the choir was leaning forward, and one of the tenors was taking notes. Then another one of the elders got up and walked over to the pastor in, in a slow, deliberate way that one approaches an injured animal. The veins in his neck were showing, and the two men hissed under their breath at each other. True story, all right? Church you've always dreamed of. After a minute, the deacon appeared satisfied. He turned to go to his seat, but his feet were tangled in the microphone cord, and he fell down. There was an audible gasp from the congregation. The pastor delayed for a brief moment before reaching to help him up, but it was long enough to convince those close to the front that their pastor had indeed pushed him down. He must have thought, though, too, because he bounced to his feet and hit the pastor square in the nose with his fist. The lapel mic registered the impact. The pastor's wife screamed and ran to help her husband, but she never got close to him. Within an instant, a majority of the congregation converged on the communion table, punching or shoving. Many came down the center aisle to help break up the combatants, but remained, but remained to fight after their side began to fall behind in the skirmish. The melee soon spilled over to an open space behind, beside the organ. Two tenors in a baritone jumped over the wooden railing of the choir loft and began exchanging punches with members from both sides of the aisle. The director of the Dorcas Society threw a hymnal out of one of the tenors but missed and it sailed high and wide and splashed in the baptistry instead. 
The organist gave up playing the organ and moved to the piano where she tried to store order by playing, Blessed be the tie that binds. <laughs> when the elder's right hook finally took the pastor down, someone grabbed the spring flower arrangement from the altar and threw it high in the air toward that elder. Water sprinkled everywhere in the first two rows to the right side. The fight ended when the police arrived at the scene. They restored order, took down names for the report they would file, recommended that some of the men seek mental attention. The elder's hand was broken, and one old lady's knitting needles were confiscated. All right. Church you've always dreamed of. I mean, yeah, we love each other. And, and, and there's a lot of humor in that story. Again, true story. But if you've been around churches and Christians enough, there's too much truth to that story. And you've experienced some of that truth in that story. Because we don't always get along. We don't always love each other. What do we do with that? Is that just what we, we just deal with that as a, as, a, as a black eye on the reputation of the church and just try to figure out, well, we don't always get along, but we have the truth, so we'll, we'll get it out there. One of the things we've been doing the last month or so, go to the next slide, is Jesus, we've been looking at John 13 to 17, which is the night that Jesus was betrayed. So five chapters, Thursday night. So it's the night that is the week of Passover. This is the Passover meal. These five chapters record a lot of what Jesus was saying to these other 12 men about um, what was going to happen, but also he was kind of giving them their last, this, this side of his resurrection, his last kind of, this is what your life's going to be like, and this is what it's going to take. All right? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, uh, so it was a Passover celebration. There was this religious meal. There were 12 of them sitting at a table, probably a rectangle like this. Jesus would have been at one kind of head, and the other guys were around. They would have been sitting on the floor. They kind of leaned and ate, you know, leaning down. They didn't have chairs. Passover celebration. It was time for supper. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Satan had already prompted Jesus. And what does that look like, that Satan can actually prompt us to do things and say things that are destructive to us in the name of Jesus? All right? Go on with the story. The night continues. Jesus actually washes the disciples' feet. It was an act only that only the lowest of low servants was supposed to do. Jesus did it in a way that shocked his disciples. He broke script of the Passover meal and did something that he wasn't supposed to do. But then he says to them, did you notice what I was doing? Because I'm, I'm your Lord and teacher. I've washed your feet, so you've got to wash each other's feet. And we talked about what kind of people does God want you to wash their feet and how do you allow Jesus to wash your feet and the, the humility that comes with that of serving by leading. And that's where we got the whole serve and lead thing. Last week we talked about when Jesus said I was, he was deeply troubled. And he was troubled because someone was going to betray him. He was troubled because of what was coming up. And he was overwhelmed to the point of death. And if Jesus can feel that way emotionally, so can we. But then how do we, how do we live out of that? How do, we, how do we become people who can live full of life and joy even those, through those deeply troubling moments? So this is all of his talk going on. So Judas has already left. All right, Judas has already left because he said somebody's going to betray me. Judas has already left. There's 11 men left, and here's what goes on from here. Here's what we can pick up. As soon as Judas left the room, this is John chapter 13, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. 
and, and again, there's a, now there's 11 guys left around the table. They're somewhat full stomachs. Their feet are clean. Judas has left. They think he left to go pay bills. They don't know why he left exactly. They didn't know that the Bible tells us. But now he's saying things like, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. They still didn't know that he knew. They still didn't get what about the whole death and resurrection. They had no idea. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search me, but you can't come where I am going. <clears throat> so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. But why can't I come, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. When Jesus says, die for me, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me, deny three times that you even know me. All right, so again, Judas had just left the room. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And the phrase I want to focus on from this passage, which maybe you've guessed based on the opening story, is when Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new command here. I want you to love each other just as I have loved you. And he says this after his betrayer had just left and right before he knows Peter and the others are going to deny him and abandon him. But he's saying to them, love each other just as I have loved you. And this is, there's obviously tension in this statement. This is not like love each other like, you've probably seen those lists of things in people's bathrooms that says, you know, if you get it out, put it up. You know, if you put the seat up, put it down. If you do this, and love each other. Remember, the, it's kind of that hallmark kind of love each other that we all think, oh, let's love each other. Jesus is saying something here that the disciples understood it to be almost like a bucket list kind of thing. You know, climb Mount Everest, do this, and love each other. This is going to be really hard for you. It's going to be one of your biggest challenges is love each other. So it wasn't this kind of like I said, this hallmark kind of, oh, love each other. It was, no, this is going to be really hard for you guys. And they knew he meant that. They still didn't get it. Love each other, just as I have loved you. So it's interesting here. It's the night Jesus was betrayed, and this is the thing. I'm going to give you a new commandment. It wasn't a new idea to love each other, but Jesus says, I'm going to, they want you to love each other just like I loved you. The story I just read... Jesus would have obviously been deeply saddened and wounded. It's almost like if Jesus would have, could have just freeze-framed the moment of the baritones punching each other or whatever, and if Jesus could have just in there, just in there and said, just love each other. This is, you know, this is, not, this is not what I died for. Now, here's what I want us to go to the next one here. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about loving difficult people. Because Jesus is talking about loving people. He says love each other. He's talking about loving each other who are in the church. He's not just talking about loving you know, them overseas or the poor people somewhere else. But I was reading an author recently, and, and they said, we often talk about loving difficult people. I'm going to turn it around, though, because this author challenged me to think this way. Let's call it loving people we find difficult to love. Because if we say I need to love difficult people... Whose problem is that? That's the difficult person's problem. If they weren't so difficult, they'd be easy to love. But if I say, I need to love people that I find difficult to love, then who's the burden of change on? Me. See, there's a slight difference of wording, but it makes all the difference in the world in terms of how you process what Jesus is asking people to do. 
Because if you just say, well, yeah, I need to learn how to love difficult people. Because the reality is, maybe I'm a difficult person. Maybe I find them difficult to love because I have some issues. Maybe I'm difficult, and it forces me to kind of own that with me. I've been around, as many of you have been around Christians and churches for a number of years, and you could list your share of difficult people to love. And I'm hoping that we could also list and relist the, the people as, these are people that I find difficult to love. That I, that's my burden to love. I'm going to unpack this statement. Oh, let me add one more thing here. It's loving Christian people we find difficult to love. Again, Jesus talks about loving the strangers and the aliens and the orphans and the poor and the widows. Sometimes it's easier to love people like that than people who claim they're followers of Jesus. Do I hear an amen to that? Yeah, amen. All right. I can love a homeless person, or else I think I can. It's easier to love a homeless person than it is to love the person who is a follower of Christ but has just criticized me or has just or disagrees with me or whatever. So we're not, I'm going to talk about just a few things. Go back for a second. About what it means. Go back. Sorry. What it means to love Christian people that you find difficult to love. Here's what I want you to do. Take a, take a second right now. I want you to close your eyes. When you think, when you hear the phrase, another Christian that is difficult for me to love, in the last three months, last year, or in the last week, I want to ask right now, Spirit of God, would you bring to each of our minds a picture of someone that falls in that category for us, a real-life person? Maybe there's somebody in this room. Maybe it's from a church back home. Maybe it's another ministry we're involved in. Maybe it's my mom, my dad, my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter, who claims to be a Christian, but I have a difficult time loving them because of things they do or say or don't do. All right? I'm going to give you about 30 more seconds of quiet and just ask the Spirit of God to lock somebody in your mind right now. One or two, maybe your list is 10 people. I don't know. Okay, now. Now that we've taken that out of the concept of a difficult person or a person difficult for me to love, and you have a name to that. So have a name to that. It could even be somebody you see on TV, a TV preacher that you don't even know, but they irritate you by what they wear, how they speak, or how big their hair is, you know, whatever. Six things I want to challenge you in terms of what Jesus meant and how John understood that with loving one another. Here's the first thing. <clears throat> You're commanded to love, and that blank, put that person's name in there. P-Y-F-D-T-L, person you find difficult to love, all right? <laughs> so that would be the uh, Pife Deedle, all right? Who is that person you find difficult to love? Who's a Christian? You're commanded to love them. Jesus didn't say it's optional. He didn't say you could even be neutral toward them. Hear me on that. We tend to think, well, I don't, I don't love them, but I don't want to hurt them. I just don't care. Well, love is not apathetic. Love is not neutral. And it's a command. Jesus didn't say it might be a good idea if you love each other. Here's a good suggestion you may want to consider. He says this is a commandment. You if you're going to be my follower, this is not optional. You don't have an option to choose who you love in the body of Christ. You love them. You're commanded to love, love that person. Jesus even repeats it a few chapters later in John 15. He says it again, this is my command, that you love each other. 
I mean, he repeats this a couple times in this evening talk. This is my command. You love each other. He said, if the love of the Father is in you, you will love each other. It's my command. You got to love each other. So it's kind of like Jesus the night before he knows he's going to be, you know, tortured and crucified and resurrected. And he's, and he, he wasn't begging, but he was probably imploring, love each other. This is going to be the hardest thing you're going to have to do right now. Love each other. The next couple days and weeks and months and years are going to be incredibly challenging. There'll be all kinds of issues and battles and challenges and persecution. Love each other. Okay, think about that person again. Think about your uh, pipe deedle. All right? You're commanded to love that person. Put that person's name in the way. You don't have an option not to love them. Second thing is this. Your love for that person will cost you. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was the cost of reputation. It was the cost of convenience. It was the cost of his own kind of... Jesus didn't have pride, but it will cost your pride if you, when you love someone that God commands you to love who's a fellow Christian. Jesus even said... Uh, and when he says, a new command I give to you, he says two chapters later, I want you to love one another. And then he talks about him sacrificing his own life. So the love that Jesus talks about here is the love of sacrifice. All right, there's two different words in the, in the Greek language, more than two. The, the two of the words in the Greek language that mean love. One is the word agape, and you've probably heard that. That's the, one, that's the word Jesus is talking about. It's a love of the will. It's a love that's for the interest, the best interest of the other person. Another word that's used for love is the word phileo, which we get the word Philadelphia, which means kind of brotherly love. It's the love I have for someone when I share a common interest. So I can have love for somebody who likes Seinfeld or who likes IU basketball. or who I can have that kind of affinity kind of love. Those kind of people, eat. I can love people who like the songs I like to sing in church. I can love people who like the theology I like. Common interest. This, the love Jesus is talking about is the love of the will. It's the love where you have to extend well-being to another, even though there's nothing common, no brotherly friendship that you have with them. So he says it's going to cost you. And again, I want you to think about that person you're thinking about, because maybe God may ask you to do something. He may prompt you to do something that will cost you something. All right, let me give you one, one suggestion. And I've done this on a number of occasions, because I have, I have difficulty loving people, sorry, sometimes. Think of that person, and I did this one time. There was a person I really had a hard time loving. There was another person in ministry. It was years ago. And I felt like God was telling me one morning that he wanted me to pray for that person. I thought, well, that's good. It's easy enough, God. I can pray for, I'll call, I'll call the guy Joe. I can pray for Joe. Then I felt like the Spirit of God was saying to me, no, I want you to pray for them out loud. Well, God, nobody's here. Nobody's going to hear me. I'm just in a room, basement room by myself. I felt like the Spirit said, I know that. I want you to hear yourself pray for that person out loud. Well, come on. That's <laughs> Do I have to? I mean, I pray for them. Mm, I prayed for them. See, I did. <laughs> but, I, but I feel like God was saying, no, I want you to pray for them, and I want you to tell me you love that person. Well, God, you know I love that person. I don't have to say it. I want you to say it. I'm just like, okay, okay. Okay, God, I want you to bless J- 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 Joe. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. God, and I love Joe. J- I love Joe. And I started crying. I thought, I, I think I do. I, I want to. But I tell you what, a, a real practical thing. Do that. Hear yourself say that you love that person in the quiet of your own room. And it will, it will surprise you how hard that is to say that. Because you can think that. I love him. Yeah, sure I do. 
But if you say it and hear yourself say it to God, it will, it will, it will jar your heart in a way that needs to be jarred. And that will cost you because it costs you pride. I mean, who was, I, who was I trying to impress? There was nobody in the basement. There was nobody with me. I just was kind of afraid to show my, to, to lessen my pride before God. And it's like, isn't that the point? Isn't the God want us to kind of die to our pride? Sure. So your love for that person will cost you. Next one. Your love for that person will be an, in some kind of an action. Jesus washed their feet. He went to the cross. He died for them. There may be something that God asks you to do in action for that person that is a person you find difficult to love. Maybe the action is simply praying for them out loud in the quiet of your basement. One time, and I've said this before, one time I felt like God asked me to, to send a gift card anonymous to that person to a restaurant. It was one of the worst restaurants in town, but that didn't make any difference. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, but it was an action. I felt like God said, I want you to send this person a $25 gift card to blank restaurant. It's like, well, they don't, God, they don't deserve my $25. I mean, I want to eat there. But I felt like, no. But, and I tell you, when I dropped that envelope in the mailbox anonymously, I think I even wrote it with my left hand, or I, I want to make sure they had no idea it was me. It was, there was like something in my heart broke open because I thought, you know what? I, the action, sometimes love dictates the action and then the feeling sometimes follows the action. I don't know if that's what you need to do. I mean, if, you know, if we have gift cards being sent all across Bloomington this week, maybe it's a good thing. Um, if, but if I get some, please don't let that, t- you know. I think you love me. <laughs> you know, no. If I get a bunch in my mailbox, I'll just assume you really like me. So, no, but it, it, it will be an action. You can't say, well, you know, you know, I really have a hard time with Bob over here, and he just really kind of, and I just leave it alone. Whereas the Spirit of God might say, you know what, you need to go do something for him, maybe anonymously, maybe you need to pray for them out loud, maybe you need to confess to someone else you trust your, frust- your difficulty in loving them and pray- ask them to pray that you would be able to love them in action. But it will be in action. The kind of love Jesus is talking about is the love in action. All right, next one. Your love for that person, you know, here's, this is a big one. If you don't love them, you hate them. It's like, whoa, 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 that's kind of strong language there. If I don't love Joe, then I hate Joe? No, I mean, I, I put them in the neutral category. If I don't love them, there's people I love, there's people I'm neutral toward, and there's people I hate. It's interesting, though, because John, who also wrote the letters of First John, 2 John and 3 John in the New Testament. And he wrote them within years of one another. I mean, he wrote the gospel about 60 years after his life with Jesus. Sometime around that time, he also wrote these letters to these churches. And one of the things he says is, if you say you love God, but you still hate your Christian brother or sister, then in so many words, I'll paraphrase, he said, you're full of it. You don't, you don't get it. And John does not give you the option to say, I'm neutral toward this person. Either you love them, which you will act toward their best interests, or you hate them, which in the biblical sense is, I either don't care I will, or I will, I will refrain blessed from giving them blessing. If I have ability to do good to someone and I refrain from doing good, then I hate that person in the biblical sense. And it sounds strong, but isn't that just like Jesus, and John was reflecting that, to say, you know, either you love somebody or you don't. And if you don't, in a biblical sense, you hate them because you are not acting out of the well-being for them. Jesus could have skipped Judas's feet when he washed feet. 
and said, well, no, I'm not, I don't hate Judas. I just choose not to wash his feet. I'm neutral. But he washed Judas's feet, knowing Judas was going to betray him. He washed Peter's feet, knowing Peter was going to deny him. He, didn't, he did not withhold what he could do for that person. And so either you do out of love or you withhold. And if you withhold, you hate. And John, later on in 1 John, says, and if you hate another Christian brother, you're not getting it, and the fullness of God is not going to become alive in you. Next one. It is impossible for you to love this person. You can't love that person. Joe, Bob, Mary, Susie, whoever your person, you can't love them in your own ability and flesh. Jesus talks about that if you obey me, the love that God has for me, Jesus says, will then be poured into you. Paul in the book of Romans says that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. I am unable to love the people I find difficult to love unless I'm willing to say to God, God, I don't have it in me to love them well. I need something from you to love them well. I'm unable of myself. I can't will myself to love somebody that drives me crazy. I can't will myself to love somebody that irritates me. I can fake it. We're all good at faking. Oh, hi, how you doing? Yeah, I love you. Yeah, I really hate this guy. He really drives me crazy. Huh? <laughs> you can fake it. I can. We're all good at that. But if you really love somebody, you have to be able, if you want to love somebody in the way Jesus was challenging these men, you've got to be open to what the Spirit of God, how he pours it into you. And that means that you have to get the Spirit his way. Because if you're saying, I don't have what it takes, that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a statement of humility and desperation and strength all at the same time. I need your love in me, God, to love that person because I can't do it. You see why Jesus, when Jesus said this, it was not a hallmark moment. It was the challenge for the ages. You love, want, love each other. It will be the hardest thing, if not one of the hardest things you do in your entire life as one of my followers, is you love each other. And you can't do it unless you ask me for help to do it. That's what the asterisk is there for. It's impossible in and of yourself. Next one. Last one. When you love that person and you take that active, for their well-being, driven by the love of God in you, action toward them that costs you something in love... Something in the invisible world, the Bible teaches, begins to break. And the hardness of something starts to break down. Because in this passage, Jesus said, if I could finish the passage, which we read earlier from John, he said, love each other just as I have loved you. Remember what's, who, who remember what, what comes next? This will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for each other. I mean, what did, what did this story I read prove? It proves we're just, we're really capable of being really religious jerks. But Jesus, if you, if you love each other, it will prove to the world. Forget about all the logical proofs about Jesus' resurrection. Forget about proving why the Bible has to be true. Those are all good arguments and conversations to be had. But Jesus said the bottom line is, if you want to prove to people that you're followers of Jesus, it's going to be totally about how you relate to one another. It's going to be them seeing that you love each other intensely, actively, and at a sacrificial cost for their well-being. And then later, the same night, 
when Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17. And he says, God, will you, will you make them one? Will you make them love each Will you get them to love each other? And if they love each other in that way, the unity, then the world's going to know that you sent me. Wow. So if I can learn, if I have a hard time loving Dan, which I don't, but maybe I will someday, I don't know. My active, sacrificial love for him somehow opens up something for people who live in the house over there and the apartment over there and the campus over there. Something like scales start to fall from their eyes because of that action and people start being open to the fact that maybe Jesus was really sent by God. And it's not like I have to say, hey, hey, I have an announcement to make. I love Dan. And people are like, oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, Jesus is my... I, when that happens, something, if you can say, you know, we always say the invisible world is real, just as real as the visible. Something begins to shatter and break in the invisible realm. And if Jesus was telling that to 11 men, that if you love each other, the world is going to start seeing more about me. And those 11 men, in this period of a few months, changed the world that they then knew and have changed the world for the last 2,000 years. What would happen if... Only 11 of us, let alone all of us, chose to do something this week or next week or today or tomorrow toward those one or two or three or ten people that you really find difficult to love. That, that, that aggregate of the breaking of the glaciers in the spiritual world. And if we want to see Bloomington one for Christ or the campus one for Christ, which is really easy to say that, Step one in doing that is I've got to love each other. I, we've got to love each other. So if you're a part of a campus group and you don't like another campus group or they don't do things the way you do it, figure out a way to ask God to help you to love them, not critique them. If you, if you end up coming to Exodus and you don't like ABC Church or DEF Church because they don't sing these kind of songs or they don't use this Bible or that Bible, that's not important. Ask God to help you love that church or love that pastor, or love that Christian or brother or sister you used to be in business with, but now you've broken apart because you don't get along. If you do that, the snowball begins to roll and the openness of what God wants to do and the people in Bloomington begins to change. Somebody asked me this week, and it's a good question, you know, what's, your, what's your vision for Exodus? And, and it, there's other ways to state it, and I'll say it in other ways in the future, but... In a real simple way is if we can be these kind of people, can you imagine what the future five years from now might be like in Bloomington? Can you imagine what the campus might be like in nine months? Can you imagine what your home and your office might be like in six, eight, ten, twelve months if we begin to take action allowing the Spirit of God to lead us to love others? Can you imagine the, the... the community that we would create in Bloomington, Indiana? Can you imagine the freedom and the bondage, the bonds that would be broken, the slaves that would be released, the oppressed people that would be set free from the oppression of Satan and sin? Can you imagine that? Isn't that the church you've always dreamed of? A church that actually believes we can change the community and we can change neighborhoods, we can have an impact on marriages, not because we go knocking door to door, which is not a bad thing, and giving good marriage advice, but because we learn to love each other well and something around the sphere of Bloomington and the invisible world begins to break down and people's scales fall off their eyes and they start seeing things about Jesus they've never seen before. 
that's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to be. And that's the impact I think God wants us to have if we love each other. Finish with this for communion. We take communion every Sunday at Exodus. Um, and Jesus says this just a few, probably a few minutes later than what he said before. But say a few chapters later, but this is probably 10, 15 minutes later. He says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. And again, knowing they were going to deny him and, and uh, leave him by himself. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father has told me. So when we take communion, we'll say this to start with, anybody is welcome here who is a friend of Jesus. All right? If you're a friend of Jesus, if you, if you are doing what he says to do, perfection isn't the standard because all of us have kind of made goofy mistakes this week and been mean to people and punched somebody in the choir loft, so to speak. But what he says, do what I command. Love each other. You're my friends. And this table is for my friends. You're not my slaves. You're not my employees. Jesus wants us to be friends. He, he calls us his friends. And so when he says, this is my body, this is my body given for you, this is the, my blood that was shed for you, do this in remembrance of me. He says, remember what I came to do. I came to tell you everything the Father told me so you can become alive in the way because the love of God and his life can be in you out and flowing into others. Remember all those things I said to you about how that happens. Remember that I came to give you access to a whole other life, a whole other kind of life on this earth. All right? That's what we remember. And Jesus is looking for friends that do the really small things but the really hard things like loving each other really well. We do that, something starts to break open. Here's how we did it at Exodus. We'll sing a couple more songs. There'll be people here in the, all three aisles there who are there uh, offering. And we, so once we start singing, you're, able, you're welcome just to come on up. We don't dismiss by rows. We don't try to see who's up and who's down or whatever. Each of the aisles, somebody will offer you the bread. You just need to tear off a piece. They'll offer you the cup, just for how we do it, just dip it in the cup here. Don't try to drink, just dip it. And then most people eat it there. Some people take it back to their seat. It's up to you. And then head on back to your seat in whatever chaotic way you can get there, which is fine. Life is chaotic. Same time over in the room that says prayer, there are people over there to pray for you, uh, for anything. Maybe, maybe your prayer, this, maybe you know there's somebody who's really difficult for you to love, and you need someone else to agree with you to ask pour his love into you so you can love that person. You don't need to name the person. Just say, I need, I need prayer because I, I, I have one of those pie-fetals in my life. All right? Um, you can do that before or after you take communion. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Jesus, um, thank you for this table you've set for your friends. And um, we want to be your friends. We want to do what you've commanded us to do. And uh, will you give us the grace and the courage and the mercy to be those kind of people? And would you help us become the men and women, the girls and boys who begin to do things you've asked us to do because it will break open uh, the spiritual freedom of others and around us. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that you allowed to be tortured and crucified. And then we're eternally and absolutely grateful that you rose from the dead, showing us that uh, the way to life is through sacrifice, showing us that your blood can now cover our sin. And we're grateful. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.